experience the strongest radio allowable by law. Secrets will be revealed. Miss dispelled. From the studio gym where excuses never apply. It's Superhuman Radio with your host, Carl Lenore. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of Superhuman Radio. We have a great show planned for you today. Very topical subjects today. Uh, during the first half hour, my co-host, Dr. Jeff Galini, and I will be discussing a study that was just published. Actually, the 19th of the month. Or 18th. I take it back. 18th. That shows a clear correlation between uh, several different cancers, prostate, lung, colorectal, and ovarian specifically, um, and alcohol consumption. So we're going to strip away the the salient information in that uh, discussion shortly. And then we'll be joined at the bottom of the hour by Joel Green from Veep. Uh, Joel has done some extensive research into 13 different hunter-gatherer populations. He looked at the occurrence of ketosis. He looked at the gut microbiome. And he looked at other metabolic functions. And he thinks that evolution is trying to tell us something. We're ignoring it. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. Of course, we have to thank All-American EFX, EFX uh, Sports, and, of course, All-American Pharmaceutical uh, for being the title sponsor of this show. Go to superhumanradio.net, click the EFX banner ad, get six of their top-selling products absolutely free. You just have to pay $5 and change for shipping. Uh, that's because Dr. Jeff believes you shouldn't ever buy anything until you've tried it and you know you like it, and he puts his money where his mouth is. This is Science for Humans with Dr. Jeff Galini. How you doing, Dr. J? I'm doing good, Carl. How about you? Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, so even some meatballs. Yeah, you like those meatballs, baby, <laughs> huh? And you know, and the key to cooking good Italian meatballs is you got to do it shirtless, right, Dr. J? Did you you ha- do, and I was thinking about that. <laughs> One a day keeps the doctor away, man. Yeah, man. I'm serious. Those meatballs are fantastic. Um, <laughs> unlike alcohol, which I think you and I can both agree that if someone is going to drink, they may as well understand it's not going to be good for them no matter what. And we keep looking at studies that say, oh, a little bit of alcohol is actually really good. It's better than no alcohol at all. But a recent study published in in, uh, in Ireland, Northern Ireland, um, by a group of researchers looked at just under 100,000 adults over the course of some years, a total of 836,740 person years of follow-up. And basically what they found was alcohol leads to cancers, and the more you drink, the higher the risk. Is, is that pretty much the summary we could take away from this? You know, I think so. You know, after looking uh, very closely at the study, I mean, you can go right to the conclusion. I mean, you can read through what they did, why they did it, but at the end of the line, uh, you know, no matter how you justify, and, and I think that's the thing that we as humans always do. We justify our bad behavior. Um, and let's face it, alcohol causes all type of effects. Right. And this study is a perfect example. You know, and it wasn't done like in a week or two weeks. And it wasn't done in a country where, you know, alcohol is banned. 
I mean, they drink quite uh, heavily over in that part of the woods. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm going to submit something. <clears throat> so these were taken from uh, patient diaries, if you will. The patient was asked questions. They answered the questions. They went into the study. No one was looking over their shoulders. This was not a controlled environment. Uh-uh. I predict that the results is actually worse because some people in the media tried to say, well, it was a J-shaped curve. Actually, a little bit of alcohol was actually better than none at all. That is not what the scientists found. What they found was that less than one glass a day, the least occurrence of, of cancers, and the more you drank, the more the higher the risk of cancer, which is a dose-dependent relationship. But I say it's even worse, Dr. J. You want to know why? Because, that, because think about this. People always underreport what they believe to be bad behavior and overreport what they believe to be good behavior. So I say these people were drinking more than they were saying, but right. they were reporting less. And I'd have to agree with you. I mean, that's typically what you find. And as you know, I've done a lot of studies. And some of my studies have been subjective, where basically you're asking questions. And some of the people that were involved in the studies, I already knew their history. And you're absolutely right. They reported a fraction of what they should have been out of more or less embarrassment. Yes. Just being honest. You know? Yes. They want to be I mean, seen. It's not like their name is in there. No, but, 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 they're, but they think somehow, they don't understand how blinding works. They think somehow someone will... Actually, they're lying to themselves. They're lying to themselves, aren't they? Yeah, They are, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, they are. And, you know, I think that's the problem with alcohol is society wants to say it's okay. You know, I mean, look at all the alcohol commercials now, and the only disclaimer is drink responsibly. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> how, much, how much of a neurotoxin is a good amount? If they, you know, if people would think about it in this, and, and keep in mind, I've been known to drink, and I don't mean just one glass of wine. I've been known to go out and and have a few more than a few, and so I'm not I'm not a teetotaler. I'm not saying this like I'm holier than thou. Yeah. The reality is that how much of a neurotoxin is a safe amount? <laughs> That's an easy you know, question, and- right? It is. I mean, no amount. Uh, I mean, that, that's my immediate answer. Yes. To it. I mean, because it, it isn't what, what people fail to realize. Oh, if I just have one drink, that's not going to hurt me. You know, well, one drink today, one drink tomorrow, the weekend, five drinks. You know, there is a dependency. You know, our brain uh, will develop a dependency for this. I mean, why do people drink in the first place? Number one reason probably is, oh, to relax. You know, I just want to go out and have a drink to relax. Mm-hmm. You are now depending on that to alter your your mood. Right. That's dangerous. You're right. And, you know, we don't think about it that way because everybody does it. I know one person in my life, and it's been a long life, that never had a drink. And she was a bartender when she was a kid. And she never ha- she's never had a drink. She's never tried alcohol. She's never had alcohol. She's not uptight. She's a wonderful person. But she just chose not to. Other than that, everybody has had a drink or will have a drink. And so it's something that we're really this – is, this is a situation where the population is looking for confirmation bias. 
We want to be told it's okay because we're going to do it anyway. Well, and I'm going to tell you a story. This is kind of a funny story, but it's a true story. You know, when I went to college, the first thing I noticed was everybody drank. And I have been totally against alcohol for whatever reason. It just bugs the heck out of me. I don't like smelling it. I don't like being around people. Um, I just don't like it. Um, so here I'm in college. I'm struggling my first year with classes. Um, and I'm watching people who drink every night and they're straight A students, you know, they're physics majors and chemistry majors. And I remember my second year being a sophomore, I moved into a house and the whole house was full of all of these nerds, you know, I wasn't in a fraternity and all they did every night was drank. And I'm going, maybe there's something to this. I don't do any of this and I'm struggling. These guys are, you know, getting high and drinking and they're getting straight A's. So I remember them having a party and at the front door to get into the house, you had to take a shot of wild turkey. Now I've never even tried alcohol. Um, so I, I did it. They were cheering me on and I was like, Oh, this ain't nothing. Well, you know, I kept going in and out of the house cause they kept, you know, yelling, Hey, oh, you know, anyhow, make a long story short. I ended up getting so sick that night, I burnt the, the lining in my stomach, and I was sick for about six months. Holy mackerel. that long to recover. But I probably had uh, 10 shots, 12 shots. I mean, I don't, I don't remember. It was so long ago. But that's part of, you know, again, I, I was looking that, hey, there must be something different. These guys must have the secret. Instead of realizing these guys were a bunch of idiots, you know, they might even have been smarter if they weren't doing what they were doing. <laughs> if they weren't stoned you know? all the time, right. Yeah, you know, but I was looking at it the other way. I was struggling with, with classes, and, you know, it was hard for me being an athlete and trying to incorporate all the, the schoolwork that I had to do. Um, but, but that's how, you know, peer pressure and things go. We always look and go, oh, wow, well, this is working for this person. Or, you know, somebody encourages you oh yeah you know you should you should drink this went through the bodybuilding realm when i was bodybuilding didn't they, they say didn't they say those, didn't uh, they isn't there stories about um bodybuilders stepping on stage drunk because they believe the alcohol would cause more vascular vascularity oh absolutely they used to drink whiskey backstage and they'd be so drunk they couldn't even stand up and then we started they started drinking wine coolers somebody said man have a wine cooler at night you know it it it's low calories, it fizzes, and it helps you relax. And all these idiots were drinking these wine coolers that were full of sugar. Right. I was going to say, what about and all the all sugar? Sudden, right. <laughs> yeah. They're for, you know, one turned into six. And I mean, literally, I would go over someone's house and I would watch them one, two, three, four, five, six. I go, you just took in like 2,000 calories of sugar. No wonder you're not doing anything on your diet. You're coming in fat and flat. And so crazy. And, and there's all sorts of reasons that people get coaxed into trying alcohol. Listen, alcohol has been something that we've leveraged for who knows how many thousands of years now. It's part of our culture. And we're not the only beings on the planet that apparently turn to alcohol. I remember reading a study probably about eight years ago. This is no lie when I tell you this, that there's a Brazilian fruit fly. That when it is rejected by a female, it finds this certain fruit 
that when it ripens, it produces alcohol. Some of the, some of them sugar alcohols, but some of it is ethanol. And so they mm. drown their sorrow by eating this highly fermented fruit and getting, and then the flies can't fly. They lay on their backs. They look like they're dead, but then they wake up and then they fly away. So fruit flies, when they, when life doesn't turn out the way they wanted it, get, get drunk. <laughs> they get drunk. This, I'm not making this stuff up, folks. This is true because I remember talking to Elise about it and going, oh, man, could you believe this? This is like this is not just humans that do this. It isn't. And I think, you know, what I want to stress, because sometimes, you know, when you get talking about this, people go, oh, you know, Dr. Jeff, he's also righteous, you know, never did anything wrong. No, I already told you I tried it. It wasn't for me. I was at least smart enough to to, to take it to the excess to see that, you know, one time can cause damage. And I'm lucky that I didn't permanently damage, you know, my, my stomach lining. But you got to remember that your liver is the filter of all the toxins in the body. And you can't just go change it like an air filter on your house. Oh, it's dirty, not working well. I'll just go down and, you know, 15 bucks, put in a new filter. Alcohol is a toxin to the body, and it has to be filtered through the liver. That's why people ha- have liver damage, you know. And again, as you started out by saying how much is, is dangerous, you know, all it takes is one. I don't know anybody except maybe me who tried it one time and never did it. I mean, usually people who take one drink. One yeah, drink once once they get two. past getting sick on it once and they're, they're back at it, they're like, oh, I can do this. It didn't kill me. And fun, it's funny you say liver cancer because in March of this year, a study was published that showed that people who suffer from liver cancer caused by alcohol consumption have a worse mm-hmm. prognosis because it's a different form of liver cancer. And we talked about this phenomenon on my show on Superhuman Radio because we had a scientist come on the show and talk about the fact that not only is the alcohol toxic, but the alcohol disrupts biofilms in the gut and frees up a specific type of fungus that is usually sequestered by the biofilm. And this fungi travels right to the liver and starts the cirrhosis process. So that cirrhosis process has been tied to disruption of the gut microbes by the introduction of alcohol. Well, and think about it. You know, you want to preserve something, Put it in alcohol. Nothing grows in alcohol. Right. It is the best antiseptic, which is why we have rubbing alcohol. I mean, the only difference is, is the way that it's processed. You know, you can't drink it because it's, it's very, very toxic. Um, but it kills everything. So, you know, you're talking about drinking alcohol. Will one drink kill microbes in the stomach? Absolutely. Yes. I, I mean, I well, can well, put well, two well, ounces if you, and if put you, some bacteria, it'll kill it. Yeah. In fact, if you swab your lab table with alcohol one time, it's pretty much 99.99% microbe-free right then and there. It kills everything. That's what we use to sanitize is uh, isopropyl alcohol. In the lab, we use ethanol. I mean, or methanol. I mean, you know, again, that's green alcohol. That's what people are drinking. So people you know? so pe- again, pe- people want know. to know what the safe amount is. I want to take a break, and when we come back, I want to talk about the, the, the different groups and quartiles that were found mm-hmm. in this study and what and how their risk of, 
of a variety of cancers increases with alcohol consumption. So you're going to have to stay tuned. I promise you, this will change your thought on this whole idea that a little bit is actually good for you. Stay tuned. What if a sports nutrition company actually let you try all of their best products for free before you ever bought one? You'd be dreaming, right? Well, you're not dreaming. Head over to efxsports.com and grab their new sample kit that includes not one, not two, but six of their top sellers. That's right. Six different samples of their top sellers sent out to you immediately to try. Just cover a small shipping and handling fee, and they're on their way to you. See for yourself why EFX Sports has taken the industry by storm and why so many athletes worldwide depend on their products, dominate their competition safely and legally. Head over to EFXSports.com right now and click the EFX Sample Kit in the online store and get your free kit today. Once again, that's EFXSports.com. Who ever heard of a supplement company that lets you pick the products they make and sell? What you have now, we are All-American Body, a factory direct supplement brand proudly brought to you by All-American Pharmaceutical. Don't pay more somewhere else. You can get the same or even better products directly from us. Now check this out. All-American Body is a brand about you. Tell us what to make next so you can save big. Go ahead and request a specific ingredient. You know, arginine, citrulline, vitamin D, a product type or category, keto, greens, naturals, herbals, nootropics, and even a specific branded product or formula. We'll either copy it exactly or make it even better. And best of all, it won't cost anything close to what you've been paying, period. And if we do end up using your suggestion, you'll get the first bottle absolutely free. We'll also give you full credit on that product's description page. You'll be famous signing autographs and people asking you to take pictures with them wherever you go. So head on over to allamericanbody.com right now. That's allamericanbody.com and make your product request today. All American Body, crazy savings, insane results. The benefits of a keto diet are immeasurable health resist disease mental function and even performance but getting into ketosis can take weeks if even at all now you can get into ketosis in 10 minutes keto cana is the first ketone powder that has been clinically shown to switch you into a ketogenic state by providing a rush of ketones into the bloodstream like to train fasted or want to spare more muscle glycogen during workouts take a shot of keto cana and hit it hard go to superhumanradio.com and click the keto cana banner ad today whether your goal is to build muscle or burn fat, you'll find everything you need at Redcon 1. Need help getting a good night's sleep? Try Fade Out or the most popular pre-workout supplement on the market today, Total War. Sign up for their new transformation challenge and win $10,000. Or shop for apparel that people at the gym will know that you are serious about your training. Need a testosterone booster that works? Check out Boomstick. Whatever you need, you'll find the best quality supplements on the market at Redcon 1. Go to Redcon1.com. That's R-E-D-C-O-N, the number one, dot com, or go to superhumanradio.net and click the Redcon 1 banner ad today. New Mass Pro Synthogen X2 just upped its own legendary game. To distance itself even further from the rest of the pack, Synthogen X2 now has double the key active ingredients. If you've ever wondered what steroid-like recovery feels like, Synthogen X2 delivers. See why others compare it favorably to powerful bodybuilding drugs at Synthogen.com. Mass Pro Synthogen. When you train with it, you'll gain with it. Ever feel like you want something crunchy? From the company that gave us the Quest Protein Bar, now comes the Quest High Protein Potato Chips. With 21 grams of high-quality protein and only 5 grams of carbs and no artificial ingredients. Just like Quest Bars, you'll feel like you're cheating, but you're not. 
go to superhumanradio.com and click the Quest High Protein Potato Chip banner ad today and get ready to be satisfied. Thanks to Quest Nutrition, chips just aren't what they used to be. This is the Superhuman Channel. Evolution just got kicked up a notch. Welcome back to Science for Humans. And this is really Science for Humans today because we're talking about alcohol consumption. Not not exclusively a human thing. I, we talked about the fruit fly a little while ago. But nonetheless, uh, nobody has perfected it like we do. The poor fruit fly has to wait for the fruit to rot. We make stuff in barrels because we're serious about our alcohol. Right, Dr. J? <laughs> <laughs> but here's the interesting thing. So the, the different... Uh, groups that they segregated them into was what is considered uh, lifetime never or infrequent drinkers. They were less than one drink a week. The next group was considered light, lifetime light alcohol drinkers, one to three drinks per week. Uh, the next group was considered heavy at two to three drinks a day. So actually between one and three a week to three drinks a day. So there were, there were more than that group. And then heavy drinkers were considered three plus drinks a day. And basically the bottom line is you can get caught up in the whole J-shape thing and say, well, see, a little bit of alcohol. No. The bottom line is the entire group had a higher cancer risk than non-drinkers, period, end of discussion. There was no magic in alcohol where – Oh, but when they drank this much, they actually had a better cancer outcome than non-drinkers. The bottom line is the author said that results indicate that intakes below one drink per day were associated with the lowest risk. They could have just went ahead and said below one drink a week. Good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just silly. Yeah, yeah. no, I was, I was just agreeing with you. Yep. And, and, and we already know these people are lying, right, Dr. J? The, the, the guy who's drinking one drink a, a, a week is probably really drinking three drinks a week, but he doesn't want to admit it. Yeah, and one drink a week doesn't mean one drink. It means I drink one time a week, but I drink Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then I stop on Monday. And, and, and Yes, you're right, because those days in succession do more damage. And something else that you just kind of sparked my memory when so when they assessed what people thought was a drink there was a great disparity there's some people out there who <laughs> who think that uh you know a redneck uh, and that's what they call it here in Kentucky a redneck pour is when you pour heavy you know like they they yeah. said this is 3 ounces of wine or one shot a week that's it or less and, yeah, I saw I saw a posting on I think it was Facebook uh, where this gal said I only drink two drinks a week and her wine glass was like five gallons or something. <laughs> that, that is pretty. <laughs> that is pretty humorous, right? Right. It, it was. You know, I, I don't remember what the whole reason behind it. I just saw the picture and I thought it was comical. There was comical. actually a sitcom where the 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 star of the sitcom was told that she had to stop drinking. It was Courtney. Uh, Cox Arquette, and uh, I think it was called um, Cougar Town or something like that, where her doctor said, look, you got you to cut back. You're drinking way too much. It's affecting your memory. It's affecting your blood pressure. And so he said, look, you can have one drink 
a night, and that's it, and it's got to be wine, he said. And so she went out and got one of those big, mm-hmm. giant tip jar, you know, those the thing yeah. that they – and she said, this is my glass. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have one of these, and I was like a whole bottle. It filled up a whole bottle. But, but that's what people do when their doctor says, you need to cut back, you know, how many drinks a, a week do you have? Oh, I only drink like maybe three. Well, you need to cut back to two. Well, you know, two what? To 62-ounce cans, to 12-ounce cans. You know, I mean, people just justify. But you know what? You see that with health all the time. I mean, how many people go to their physician, and their physician gives them a recommendation, and they go, oh, I'm not going to change my diet. I'm going to diet from something anyhow. You know, it's you're so right. And, And that comes back to my statement, that the only reason why we keep studying this neurotoxin that we love is because we're looking for confirmation bias. We're looking for studies that go that make us feel less guilty when we drink. Don't yeah. feel guilty. Just acknowledge that you're doing something harmful and you won't do it very often and do it on occasions. And But st- don't lie to yourself and tell yourself, oh, there's a study that said what I'm doing is good for me because if it's good for you, it's got to be really good for your dog and it's got to be really good for your baby. So you yeah. need to start giving them alcohol too to help them see the benefits that you see. Oh, and don't even get me on pregnant women drinking. I mean, <laughs> do you, you really know? think there's any pregnant women That's... out there that still drink, Doctor J? Oh gosh, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. Uh, there are stupid people. Uh, really? Oh well, you know, just just one or one or two drinks. You know, it's not a big deal. Oh no, I have seen it. I have seen it, and you, you, you know, I try not to be rude, but it's like it is a big deal. You know, do you not read? What goes on? I mean, do you not understand this? Well, I only did it once or twice during my pregnancy. That's that's terrible. That's terrible. I know. You know, fetal alcohol syndrome is a far-reaching syndrome. Um, it doesn't only just mess up your brain, but there are, there are actual phenotypical, uh, outward, uh, discernible traits that someone whose mother drank even small amounts of alcohol during pregnancy. If you look for facial traits of fetal alcohol syndrome and look at them, you're going to go, oh, my God, my friend Joey looks like that. His mother must have drank when she was pregnant. Yeah. I mean, it's they're, they're very discernible. They're very reproducible. Uh, facial features, small, you know, uh, the face is all in the center of the of the skull and the head. The face looks like it's tiny. It's too big for their, too small for their face, their, 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 the, 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 the skull. I mean, the eye separations, there's certain distinctive patterns that you see this. And when you go on the internet and look at it, you're going to go, I know six people that all look like that. And, you know, I, you know, growing up in Ohio, I mean, people made homemade wine, homemade whiskey. I mean, I don't want to say that was part of the culture back then, but it kind of was. Not everybody did it. But I noticed that the people, and, and to me, an alcoholic is someone who drinks every day. Yeah. I'm sorry, folks. You know, you if you need it every day, but they would they would get these big old noses. Uh, mm-hmm. Have you seen that? It's yeah. like almost Bozo the Clown. Yes, and it's all blood and vessels I running see, through it. Yeah, yeah. It is. I see so many people now, and I see that, and... It's just like, oh, my gosh. And, you know, you think you smell alcohol on them, and, you know, you never want to accuse. But when you see that, that big old nose, it's like, my goodness, they're, they're gone crazy drinking. Well, if you have a friend that drinks a lot and they have that sour smell that actually exudes from their skin, those are the earliest signs of liver failure. 
So if you know somebody who drinks yeah. every single day and you notice when you stand next to them, they have this stale, sour body odor that comes uh, off of their skin, not from their mouth, because from their mouth, you're going to smell the acetate coming out of the lungs. But if you if you if you stand next to them, they have that sour uh, smell to their body. Their liver is already failing. Yeah, and if they have a slight yellow tint to their skin. Yeah. Now, usually, uh, people who drink a lot are very good at disguising the smell, but if you see them constantly popping Altoids and what is that little spray stuff, you bonk or Oh, whatever, yeah, yeah, Banaka, uh, or they actually carry mouthwash around with them. You're right. They'll have a bottle of mouthwash in their car. You're absolutely right. We we had a guy here that hit it very, very well. He was a friend. And I, I swore in the evenings I smelled it on him, but he swore up and down. And, you know, he always had the Bianca. And he always had Altoids. I mean, all the time. And I thought, that's kind of weird. I mean, you know, that somebody would always be spraying that stuff. Well, it turned out, you know, he was an alcoholic, drinking on the job, you know, going out to the car, drinking. So stop lying to yourself. If you're going to go out and and drink with your friends, uh, understand that you're increasing your risk of cancer the more often you do it. And your immune system may be robust enough, but somebody else's isn't. It's also a very, very individualized phenomenon. Don't think that alcohol is actually good for you. Don't believe any studies that say that. Drink and accept the responsibility of making bad decisions, and that's it. That's That's it. it. And, again, you know, health and fitness is about being healthier and sometimes you have to make some choices, you know. I mean, if you want longevity and you want to be healthy, let alone being an athlete, um, you're never going to reach your full potential if your body isn't working at its best. Yep. So, What's going on before we sign off with uh, 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 All-American Pharmaceutical and EFX Sports? Anything uh, exciting coming up? Any shows? You just attended Man, a just show, back right? From, uh, yeah. I was out in Texas uh, traveling all over Dallas and El Paso, visiting stores and making appearances and had the big Europa Games on the weekend. Um, I'll tell you what what happened. This was interesting. I know people use Carvalin backstage, but it went hog crazy. We had people, competitors, that would come up and say, can I get a couple samples? Um, So-and-so told me to use Carvalin backstage. And as a matter of fact, the gal that won the bikini, she's now going to the Olympia. She's a huge Carvalin fan. Used it all the way through her diet, used it for pumping up. So that was a big phenomenon. That's awesome. Everybody is using Carvalin to pump up. They're realizing the benefits over, you know, sugar and alcohol and stuff that they don't normally do. You know, they do something wacky that morning that they they don't typically do. So That's, That is really interesting. I never even thought about it. Before getting up on the stage, if you're flat, and, and that'll that'll just blow you up. Yeah. yeah, it's easy on the stomach. It doesn't bloat you. You don't need much water to, to get it in. Five minutes, your veins are popping out. There were more people that looked fuller and better because of the amount of carbon consumption that was happening backstage. So overall, it was a good show. That is see, awesome. Uh, my buddy Mike Christian. Yeah, I haven't seen him in years. Uh, saw him. So it was fun. Where are you going next? Where can people see you next? Anything planned? Um, I'll for sure be at the Olympia in September. Um, there's a Europa Phoenix show in October. They're trying to get me back out to Florida in July for a, <laughs> a big uh, anniversary for a big store. But right now, I don't have anything permanently planned other than the Olympia. 
Dude, you need to have an entourage. You need to get a bunch of us together and, and send a video crew and they video and we do like a, 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 <laughs> I, no, I a reality TV show. A reality TV show. We should do yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, I I have my own uh, social media director now that travels with me and uh, he shoots video and does all kind of stuff, uh, all the on-the-road stuff he does. Yeah, but now you but need a, you need an entourage. Right? You need to bring me aboard and, and a couple other people, and we just all yeah, we all, hang all right. Out. I like it, man. Yeah, let's do on, let's do the fitness Italians, the right? fitness industry entourage. Yes, yes, yes. We'll, all se- right. we'll sell it to HBO. I like it. All right, Doctor J. There you go. All right, take care. Right, bye bye. We're going to take one quick commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by Joel Green, and we're going to talk about what we can learn from thirteen different hunter gatherer populations about diet the occurrence of ketosis, and how those two things affect the microbiome and obesity. Yes, that's right. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Have you ever heard of a supplement company that lets you pick the products they make and sell? What you have now, we are All-American Body, a factory direct supplement brand proudly brought to you by All-American Pharmaceutical. Don't pay more somewhere else. You can get the same or even better products directly from us. Now check this out. All-American Body is a brand about you. Tell us what to make next so you can save big. Go ahead and request a specific ingredient. You know, arginine, citrulline, vitamin D, a product type or category, keto, greens, naturals, herbals, nootropics, and even a specific branded product or formula. We'll either copy it exactly or make it even better. And best of all, it won't cost anything close to what you've been paying, period. And if we do end up using your suggestion, you'll get the first bottle absolutely free. We'll also give you full credit on that product's description page. You'll be famous signing autographs and people asking you to take pictures with them wherever you go. So head on over to allamericanbody.com right now. That's allamericanbody.com and make your product request today. All American Body. Crazy savings, insane results. What if a sports nutrition company actually let you try all of their best products for free before you ever bought one you'd be dreaming right well you're not dreaming head over to efxsports.com and grab their new sample kit that includes not one not two but six of their top sellers that's right six different samples of their top sellers sent out to you immediately to try Just cover a small shipping and handling fee, and they're on their way to you. See for yourself why EFX Sports has taken the industry by storm and why so many athletes worldwide depend on their products, dominate their competition safely and legally. Head over to EFXSports.com right now and click the EFX Sample Kit in the online store and get your free kit today. Once again, that's EFXSports.com. Eat dessert again with the new 100% natural line of high-protein, low-carb Quest protein bars. I love lemon cream pie and strawberry cheesecake, but you can choose from chocolate peanut butter, coconut cashew, or cinnamon roll as well. No matter which one you try, you'll feel like you're eating dessert, but this is no ordinary dessert. With 20 grams of high-quality whey protein isolate, 17 grams of prebiotic fiber, and sweetened with stevia, these bars will make you feel like you're cheating, but you're not. Go to superhumanradio.com and click the Quest Protein Bar banner ad to learn more about these clean and delicious protein bars. If you followed my transformation on Facebook, you've been wondering what I've done to create such dramatic results. One of the things is I've started every day with the Kegenix Prime and then trained fasted and remained fasted till my first meal at 2 o'clock. Kegenix Prime gives me all the energy I need while shutting down hunger. And since the ketones are bound to a quad mineral blend, I'm getting all the magnesium, calcium, potassium, and sodium I need to keep my minerals in balance. Try Kegenix 
Kijenix Prime yourself. Go to superhumanradio.com and click the Kijenix banner ad today and save 25% off your first purchase. Kijenix Prime, I couldn't have done it without it. Hey, this is Carl. Start your day just like I do with a high-dose lipospheric vitamin C from Live On Labs. You too can benefit from Live On Labs lipospheric delivery system. No more pills or powders. That's outdated technology. Live On Labs has the world's most efficient vitamin delivery system, period. Learn a lot more today at liveonlabs.com and benefit from their new reduced pricing. That's liveonlabs.com, L-I-V-O-N, labs.com. Mitochondrial uncoupling is the holy grail of fat loss. Making mitochondria work harder raises body temperature and metabolic rate without the jitters of stimulants. Now there is an over-the-counter mitochondrial uncoupler that will let you shred your body down to the last pounds of body fat. It's Trojan Horse. This is the supplement breakthrough of the decade. Go to superhumanradio.com and click the Trojan Horse banner ad. Use coupon code SHR and save 20% off your order today. BlackstoneLabs.com. Trojan Horse. This is the Superhuman Channel. Doing reps with the weight of the world. Welcome back. So, we maybe not ha- don't have to go all the way back to Paleolithic time and guess uh, about hunter-gatherer humans. There's plenty of them on the planet still, believe it or not. And you would think that modern medicine would be studying them to a much greater degree. But not everybody's as smart as Joel Green. Joel Green is the proprietor at Veep.com, V-E-E-P.com. His diet has been featured on the Dr. Phil uh, program. Uh, there are a few people that I know that are all up in nutrition to the degree that Joel is. Because Joel approaches nutrition from a different standpoint. It's not just about one uh, type of doctrine, well, performance or anti-aging. Uh, Joel looks at nutrition the way metabolomics looks at nutrition. It's like, okay, we eat this, and then what happens? What are all the different endpoints? And as a result of that and his level of inquisitiveness, he tends to go down roads that most people just walk past. And there's real magic that happens. How are you doing, Joel? Man, I'm doing great. You gave me an idea or a uh, viral video, Carl. Um, I I think you've got to do it, which is um, how to make manly meatballs. Oh, you saw that, right? With no shirt on. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's got to be like a viral video. Like, you've got to show us how to do it. Like, just wear a pair of jeans, no shirt, and then just step us through making, like, manly meatballs. Manly meatballs. That's the answer, man. They were good. They were good. Um, I'll make them for you next time we hang out. How about that? Oh, fantastic. So, 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 uh, you know, everybody's looking at paleolithic human beings, and the argument always is, yeah, but we really just don't know that that's what they were doing. And that's a valid argument. But there are plenty of hunter-gatherer uh, populations still on the planet, right? Uh, yes, there are. Um, they don't necessarily have quite the same diets of antiquity that they did, but there is actually quite a bit of um, research in this area. And when we look at it, we have to qualify it with a few things. Number one, we have to realize we are not looking at hard data. We're looking at estimations. Um, Number two, there are some very good generalities that we can draw out of this. And number three, 
there's no specific sort of ancestral diet. There's nothing that is, you know, particular. That when you look at population by population, it really gets to the latitude lines. Well, but but wait, wait, wait. I, I, you know, from an from an evolutionary perspective, doesn't that make perfect sense? Because the Inuit adapted to virtually a you know a, a roughage free diet of, of consisting of animal protein and animal fat. Because isn't part of the reason we are the apex predator that we are is that we are super hybrids. We find things that we can actually thrive on to a greater degree than any other species on the planet? Uh, I certainly think you can make that case. Um, I, I looked at it you know, over a dozen years ago when I was putting together um, the formulative research that went into the V program. There were a couple of things that, that really stood out when I was looking at um, when I was looking at cobbling together kind of you know what the human body needed, and I looked at um, our ancestors, and I looked at some of the commonalities, and there were a couple things that that really drove um, the discussion. Um, and when you look at ancestral populations, um, kind of just to give a little background here, there's there's kind of like the um, kind of the master Bible, which was a scientist named Murdoch in the 60s, put together um, uh, something called the Ethnographic Atlas. Mm-hmm. And he inventoried every known indigenous culture out there, and based on what was available, made some estimates about what there was to eat, but he, he essentially left a few things out. He left in he left out fishing and hunting. And then in 2000, some corrections were needed that, that came and were put into that. And then it was uh, revised by some other scientists. And a couple things bled true. Um, one of them was that 73% of hunter-gatherers relied primarily on animal diets, and that whenever possible, uh, roughly 40 to 65% of the diet came from animals, and only uh, 14% um, was from plants. But within that, there was actually quite a bit of variance. And the, uh, the driver is the ratio of energy capture to expenditure. And it's just that animal foods get you a better number. You get better ratios with uh, animal foods. And, and, that's because, um, and that's because they're much more nutrient-dense and complete foods. They are, to the hunter-gatherer, they are the superfood. Yeah, it has to do with energy capture to right. expenditure. And, and you, get, you just get a better ratio. So from a survival perspective, um, that's why you see that distribution. And so, so that's interesting. Um, the other thing that we see when we look at hunter-gatherer, race, hunter-gatherer populations, one of, the, one of the things that tends to kind of come away from a takeaway is the percentage in the diet from hunting doesn't change as you go north or south. doesn't change. Really? Now, as you're sort of equatorial and you're in the grasslands, you have a better opportunity to farm, so you have more opportunity for plant foods. Um, so what you see is when you get sort of um, in the uh, mid-region mid of the planet, kind of the equatorial regions, you see more of a, a reliance on plant-based foods in addition to animal foods. And then the only thing that changes as you go north is you move away from farming and into fishing. And that's what you see historically. So either north or south, then you're going to see the hunting remains the same, but then you add fishing in place of plants. That tends to be pretty consistent. Wow. Uh, are, and then the other... Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go. Um, so th- th- the other thing with that that we see is um, very consistent as, as the percent of fat increases in the diet, uh, the percent of carbs increases 
in the diet, and that's a necessity to offset some of the oxidation happening from increasing fat. And yeah, but so, they don't. But they don't know that. They don't know that. Why? Why? Why do they up their their carbohydrate intake when they up their fat intake? Um, primarily, what we see. Well, let's take for example. Um, let's look at like the Hazda. Uh, right. Which is, uh, in, right. So, so the Hazda, they're hunter-gatherers, um, and when you look at, like, what they eat, the, the number two thing in their diet is honey. Yeah, I know. I've um, actually, seen, I've actually and, seen photos of them, like, uh, climbing up big trees and literally taking uh, honeycombs the size of, like, a four-by-eight sheetrock <laughs> down from trees that are out in the, in the forest there. It's amazing. Yeah, we, and so when we, when we stack rank, like, okay, well, what are um, indigenous, like, when we say carbs, like, Across the board, like all populations, what are they eating? And, and so what we see is 41% fruit, um, 11% roots, tubers, 10% seeds, 10% nuts. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty consistent. And now under fruit, you can say either berries or honey or things like that. Right. Um, but that's that's what we tend to see. Okay, so um, we have we we can go to different places on this globe. And we will find variations of the human diet from very extreme diets like the Maasai who live on blood that they raise their cows for to um, uh, flat-out vegan-only diets. Do we see any vegan hunter-gatherer populations, exclusively vegan, where they eat no animal protein whatsoever. Uh, and obviously there are there are two long-lived populations that are lacto and lacto-ovo vegetarians, but do we see any purely vegan populations that are hunter-gatherers today that have survived? Um, wow. Okay, so what a fantastic question because it's a subset of a much bigger question. Um, so let me address that specifically, and then I'll get to the bigger question. Um that I know of, the, the biggest percentage in the diet from plant food would be the gui in Africa, and that's 74% from plants, 20, 26% from animals. Um, but the bigger part of your question gets to a trend that we see with all, all of these indigenous cultures. And, this, and there's, in this, in the data I'm pulling from, there's 228 different, different cultures that have been looked at. And the one word, the key theme that seems to come out of it is balance. And so there seems to be a balance in the diet. And the, the primary driver, um, when we look at it, gets to human nutrition, and that the primary driver or the rate limiter in the diet um, happens to be protein. And the issue we get with protein is that there is just a limit. There's genetic limits imposed uh, with protein intake, and you run into you run into basically maximal hepatic urea synthesis. So there's a limit to how much your liver can upregulate the enzymes that you need to synthesize or for urea synthesis uh, as you scale dietary protein intake. And in fact, I think uh, it's actually been calculated and it's something like 60, 65 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. And so there's, a, there's actually a, a term for this uh, in sort of antiquity. There, there was a word this and it's called rabbit starvation yeah i've heard of it and in fact isn't that what stop uh, stephenson suffered from when he went to bellevue and tried to re- reproduce the inuit diet but he just he ate very very lean proteins yeah exactly and so the issue that you see is high intake so when you look at like, like if we just go back and we look at well what's there to eat and like what are the generalities we can make 
And so when we look at like, okay, well, let's just say game animals. Um, game animals are, are pretty lean. Like, like on average, if you averaged all game animals, you're going to get about 4% body fat. And then if you look at fish and you averaged all fish, what are you going to get? Well, you're going to get about 10% fat from fish. And so as we look at what's available in the diet, um, what we see is that the primary driver, the primary thing we've got to like overcome is the genetic limit on liver enzyme production. And that when you exceed that, um, when you get protein intakes that are north of the, of the liver's ability to handle that, then you get some conditions. You get hyperammonia, you get hyperaminoacidemia. And the basic problem is that the liver just can't get rid of the urea. In fact, um, uh, I do some consulting with, like, uh, nutrition people and trainers and stuff. And every now and then, you know, I'll have, like, a fitness guy come to me. Um, in what I do, I deal with a lot of mainstream populations. And so I've dealt with a lot of people who have, like, obesity and they're overweight. And the problem with the obese is nitrogen disposal. They, the, their nitrogen disposal pathways are actually impaired uh, compared to most people. And so what I've had to deal with a lot is I'll have fit people come to me and they're putting them on high-protein diets. And it's not doing anything. And it's because the nitrogen disposal pathways are blunted. And so that's what we see as sort of the, the general rate limiter. When you have um, diets that are very high in protein uh, and very lean, um, Ultimately, there's a condition that comes out of that called rabbit starvation, and it's got a uh, it's got a staging of symptoms all the way to death. So that so that's the thing you have to overcome. The way you overcome that is well, now you've got to add some fat in the diet. The way you add fat in the diet is you you go for bigger game, mm-hmm. and so when you go for bigger game, you start to add a little bit more fat in the diet, and when you start to add fat in the diet, the more fat you add in the diet. Long-term, what you're getting, short-term, and this is what we see with high-fat diets in general. In fact, the reason I never made Veep uh, purely a keto diet was I came across a meta-study in 2006 that said, we viewed all, all diets out there that, that have high-fat. It doesn't matter what the source is. And so what you see is short-term, there's tons of benefits. Uh, long-term, the, the, essentially the gut biome gets recolonized to an obesogenic gut biome. And the reason is when you look at fats and you look at the structure of what fats are, you're really just dealing with, you're really just dealing with carbon, hydrogen, and using oxygen to blow that off. And so the more we use oxygen, the more we need antioxidants. And the substrate that we need to neutralize um, a lot of that is food for very specific bacteria in the gut. So you wind up depleting the substrate for those bacteria. And then what happens is the bacterioides tend to spin up. Mm -hmm. And so we see that indigenous cultures somehow knew this, and so there's this balance that we see. So as they scale fats in the diet, they balance that off, and they tend to scale um, sources of fruit or honey. It's amazing. And you know, it, it, it's, this is, this is from, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of years of refinement of figuring out because we, 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 humans have critical thinking skills at any level of our journey. And we, we, one of, one of the, one of the things that have made us the species that we are is our ability to connect the dots and learn. Um, you know, that's what intelligence is. I mean, deer do it too. Don't get me wrong. All animals do it, but not to the degree that humans do. And we have the ability to observe nuances, connect dots and alter 
our behavior as a result of it. And there's been a constant refinement of that. Um, I want to, I want to take a break when we come back. So I, I just want to be, before we go into the break, they're really, other than the GUI, which eats like 70 something percent of their diet from plant base and the balance, uh, to 26 from, from animal, th- there are no purely vegan hunter gatherers that you know of. No. So what you'll find again, you know, there's this tendency. We all want to kind of just reduce the question to what. Well, but but you know, but, but I don't even want to reduce it to what at this point in time. So we constantly have the barrage of uh, idiocy, and I'm sorry, that's what it is that pushes the idea that vegan diet is the appropriate diet for humans, and it really stems from a very noble cause. You feel sorry for animals, so what you want to do is you want to save as many animals as you can, and you can't save that many by yourself, but if you can convert enough people to think that eating animals is a bad idea, then you win. And so vegans tend to create propaganda and and silly arguments about why the vegan diet is appropriate, and I always go back to evolution and say, show me a, show me our vegan ancestor. Because the truth of the matter is, Australopithecus robustus is the closest thing that we have to a vegan ancestor. And it, it became extinct. It had a very short lifespan. But Gracile, which started eating bones, uh, marrow, and meat, and carrion, and then eventually hunting, is what took off and lived longer. And we are direct descendants of Australopithecus gracile robustus which was the vegan version is extinct and so whenever people make this argument about the vegan diet being the appropriate diet for humans i say show me our vegan ancestors and you can't because they would have died of nutrient deficiencies at some point in time and become extinct so i'm asking you are there any purely vegan hunter gatherer populations today on this planet that you know of and this is just of you know of there may be some little group that hasn't been reported yet but that you know of yeah no i and that i know of there never have been um and <laughs> right. we'll, when we come back from the break we'll we'll dive into that because it gets pretty interesting right because I, I also i want to i also want to talk about phenotypes observable phenotypes sure. oh, yeah, uh, based absolutely. on based on animal protein intake stay tuned we're talking with joel green be prepared when you finish listening to this show people are going to say to you is your head bigger? Because you're going to be so filled with knowledge, you're going to have to make an expansion on your skull. Stay tuned. If you suffer from abdominal bloating, Relief is here. Introducing Atrontil. Developed by a board-certified gastroenterologist, it relieves bloating where it starts, in the small bowel. That's why works while other remedies don't. In clinical trials, 88% of bloating sufferers who use prescription medications with no relief found relieve their symptoms, and it's available without a prescription because is made from a patented molecular combination of botanical extracts. It's not a probiotic. Plus, it's natural, vegan, gluten-free, and non-GMO. Atrontil. Even the name is proven to make you feel better. Go to lovemytummy.com and use code SHR for 10% off. That's code SHR at lovemytummy.com. Lovemytummy.com. Hi, I'm Ashley Grace, co-founder of HM Company. Hemp CBD improved my life so much that I started HM Company to help others naturally feel better. 
You don't have to have had a severe brain injury like me to benefit from HM Company products. If you're struggling to feel better, calm your brain, or better deal with daily stress and want to do so naturally, please try HM Company products. Search HM Company and use code SHR for 20% off and free shipping. That's HM Company and code SHR. When's the last time you look forward to taking your pre-workout? I mean like thinking about it the night before, shaking it up, anticipating the way it tastes, the music starts to thump louder. The weight starts to get lighter. Get ready to feel that way. Bounty Hunter is that pre-workout. Bounty Hunter will make you believe in pre-workouts again. Get free shipping with code SHR on a jug of ridiculously delicious, badass vanilla bourbon Bounty Hunter. Go to wildwestnutrition.com or click the banner ad at superhumanradio.net. Now, the number one best-selling non-hormonal anabolic agent at PredatorNutrition.com. Progenidrex has established itself as the category killer. If you're having difficulty gaining muscle while staying lean, you owe it to yourself to try Progenidrex. 100% of store reviews rated it at five stars, the highest possible ranking. And today, right now, there are guys pouring their hearts out in the gym with little or nothing to show for it. Don't waste any more time. Go to PredatorNutrition.com today and get Progenidrex, the world world's absolute best drug-free muscle gainer. Hey, this is Carl. Start your day just like I do with a high-dose lipospheric vitamin C from Live On Labs. You too can benefit from Live On Labs lipospheric delivery system. No more pills or powders. That's outdated technology. Live On Labs has the world's most efficient vitamin delivery system, period. Learn a lot more today at liveonlabs.com and benefit from their new reduced pricing. That's liveonlabs.com, L-I-V-O-N, labs.com. There are a few products that I believe in the way I believe in Can-C eye drops. I've been using Can-C for six months now, and the changes in my vision are nothing short of amazing. Wow, that's an old commercial. The truth is I've been using Can-C eye drops for 11 years now, and I credit Can-C eye drops as being the reason that I do not need reading glasses at 58 years old. Can-C eye drops improve the quality and health of your eyes indefinitely. That's why I both use and endorse Cansee Eye Drops. Go to wisechoicemedicine.com and learn about how Cansee Eye Drops can improve the health of your eyes and the quality of your vision today. What if a sports nutrition company actually let you try all of their best products for free before you ever bought one? You'd be dreaming, right? Well, you're not dreaming. Head over to efxsports.com and grab their new sample kit that includes not one, not two, but six of their top sellers. That's right. Six different samples of their top sellers sent out to you immediately to try. Just cover a small shipping and handling fee, and they're on their way to you. See for yourself why EFX Sports has taken the industry by storm and why so many athletes worldwide depend on their products, dominate their competition safely and legally. Head over to EFXSports.com right now and click the EFX Sample Kit in the online store and get your free kit today. Once again, that's EFXSports.com. Spit that out right now. This is the Superhuman Channel. Welcome back to uh, Superhuman Radio. We're talking with Joel Green. Those of you listening to the live show, I know the stream is bouncing a little bit. Our server is actually updating our CDN, 200 servers out there that serve our show around the world. And why it does it every day at 1 a, a p.m. in the afternoon, I don't know. I've asked them to change that. Uh, but uh, it's, it's, so, so if it fades in and out, it'll come right back. Just stick with us. We're talking with Joel Green. We're talking about what we can learn from the existing hunter-gatherer populations that is still existing on this planet. So much we can actually learn. And Joel has spent tireless amounts of time researching them. 
and we were going into the break, I was making the argument that there are no such things as a healthy vegan diet because it's an inappropriate diet for humans. And if it wasn't, we would still see completely vegan hunter-gatherer uh, populations. And other than the GUI, as you pointed out, in Africa, that gets about 26% of their diet from animal protein, that's the closest thing we have to the vegan uh, ancestor. So, so pick up from that, and then I also want to talk about phenotypes that we see. Yeah, all great stuff. Um, actually, on that note, so so what we don't see in the ancestral environment is we we don't anywhere see imbalance anywhere. And so isn't that amazing? And they yeah. isn't that amazing, especially since they don't have PLOS or or LinkedIn. You know, they don't have, they don't have any access to any data. How about that? Yeah, um, what we do see is, for example, like the best case in the natural world you're going to get for anything approximating a keto diet is going to be roughly 58% of the diet coming from fats. But then whenever you see that, you see roughly 25% of fruits and honey in the diet as well. Um, when we look at um, when we look at diets that are sort of getting to phenotypes, and we look at like where people are coming from. So you've got different regions. You've got kind of coniferous forests. You've got grasslands. You've got the sub-Sahara. Then you start to see phenotypical differences. So, for example, um, people that are you know the African uh, African American uh, of descent and have ancestors that are sub-Sahara uh, often lack the Alox five gene, and so they don't do well with fats. Um, they don't have that gene, and that's because they're from. They're from areas that relied primarily uh, not on increasing fat intake, but um, for the most part, they relied on carb sources. Wait, wait, wait. So this, this, this is blasphemy. You mean there are people out there that don't do well from a high-fat diet? Are you sure? Have you not been gleaning the Internet about ketosis and eating 70% fat because that's the only pathway to health? I'm being facetious, well, that obviously. <laughs> yeah, great, great question. That way of thinking uh, leaves out a lot of things. Um, one of the things that's leaving out is that we have sort of genetic programming relative to where your ancestors lived. And I was, I was sort of, think about, just think about it in a simple sense. As you go north, uh, plants don't really grow the colder it gets, and so you've got to rely more on fish. And so in terms of what your genome is adapted to eat, um, you're going to be better at handling fats. Um, as you are more in the grasslands, then you don't really need fats, and in fact, there isn't really anything that can give you high fats. The best you're going to get out of game animals is roughly about 5%. So there just isn't a source of high fats. And then what do we see when we look at the, the genotype of people who have ancestors from those latitudes? They lack the LX5 gene, and they don't do well on fish oil, for example. They don't do well on fats. See, so folks, and, th- th- wait, wait, I, I, and this is my freaking frustration. You know, I, I keep talking about this, that, you know, the vegan diet, the exclusively high-fat diet, these are all aberrations that maybe we would have found ourselves in for short periods of time in transitions of seasons or availability, or maybe we got injured and we couldn't hunt, so we had to eat grass. Folks, you know, we, our ancestors, the, da- the downward pressure of what our ancestors did inhabit our genes today. And it's, and, and until doctors, clinicians, and quite frankly, even lay people, start to understand that the reason that the hunter-gatherers didn't have to look at a study to tell them how much of each macronutrient to eat is because they evolved eating that way. And they they learned over thousands and thousands of years what works and what doesn't. And looking to science to give us those answers is stupid. We need to look back. We need to look back to see the future. Yeah, and on that note, I just I want to keep hammering this home, um, and, and just sharing 
my sum total take of, of reading sort of a number of meta reviews on hundreds and hundreds of cultures, what we don't see anywhere is imbalance. There, there isn't yeah. any culture anywhere that imbalances anything. There's, there's always a balance in the diet. There's always, um, and, and that is metabolically necessitated. So once again, if your rate limiter is protein, once you scale protein beyond a certain level from lean animals, you got to get some fat in the diet. So, okay, well, let's solve that problem. Let's go get some fat. We need to hunt bigger animals or we need to fish more. We need to get more fat in the diet. But when you look at the total fat load that's available to get, you can't get beyond a certain threshold. And then as you begin to scale fat, now you need to scale phenols. You need to scale antioxidants in the diet. And your best sources of those are going to come from fruits. They're going to come from honey. They're going to come from tubers, things like that. So it doesn't matter what culture. We'll see quite a bit of variance in the diet depending on where those cultures live. But the one consistency we do see is that their diets are balanced. And, and, and see, and I'll tell you something. I, I love Dr. Lauren Cordain. He's done more for sensible nutritional programs for humans than any single person on the planet. But one of the areas that he and I disagree in is, is dairy. I mean, he's staunch, no, dairy, no good, no. And I, the reality is that I think some people are equipped to thrive on dairy. And p- perfect example of that would be the Hunza. They're lacto-vegetarians. They make cultured dairy. They drink milk. They eat cheese. And they eat a ton of vegetables. And they live to be 80, 90, and 100 years old regularly. So while I disagree with Dr. Cordain in the dairy area, the reality is, unfortunately, as soon as you give something a name, you, you become part of a club. But the truth of the matter is that the paleo diet is probably the closest thing. It's a good place to start for your unique journey into an ancestral diet and then look at the regions that your genes came from. Look at the foods that were indigenously available to those populations. Those are your foods. Would you agree with that, that simplicity approach? It, it has, you know, what you're bringing into the equation is you're going beyond the what of like, well, what is it? Well, it's just fat, eat fat. It's, well, no, there's more to the picture than that. There, there are other elements in the equation. What you're bringing up is the other elements that impinge on the equation. One is sort of, um, you know, thank you for bringing up dairy. Can I beat this up for a please, second? Please, please, because you know me. I love dairy, I, especially raw and pasteurized milk. So let me just, let me, let me just destroy that. Let me just annihilate that. Um, so there's a misconception out there. Um, the misconception, and you hear this a lot, you hear it with the theory of like lactase persistence, and it's completely wrong, all of it. You hear this idea that dairy, uh, the human body is not, not designed to, to digest dairy. You hear that a lot. And if you just take a step back and look at it, carbohydrate metabolism is for the most part not a function of the human genome. In fact, the whole idea that your human genome runs your body uh, isn't even really correct. Your human body is the merger of three genomes. It's the merger of your gut biome genome, your mitochondrial genome, and your human genome. And it's the interplay between all three genomes that dictates the active operating system for your body. And when we look at dairy in particular, we see something really interesting. See, the prevailing school of thought out there is the idea that the problem is the foods. Um, But when you really look at the problem, you see something very, very interesting. What we see is that the microbial genes um, are really where the horsepower is to produce the enzymes to break down carbohydrates, in particular with dairy. 
So what we see is we see people with lactose intolerance, but they can eat yogurt. Why can they eat yogurt? Because it contains the bacteria they need to break down the yogurt. Right. Um, and so there's this sort of school of thought that, quote-unquote, dairy's bad, it's not in the human genome, blah, blah, blah. Well, yes, that's correct. Um, the, gene, the genes required to break down dairy are in the bacteria. The issue is not the dairy. The issue is that you're lacking the bacteria. And the reason you're lacking the bacteria is modern processing wipes the bacteria out. But if you look at a baby and you look at, like, a baby's first source of food, it's mother's milk, and in that milk is all the bacteria the baby needs to break down that milk. And if right. you heat that milk up and kill the bacteria and then give it to the baby, watch what happens. So what this gets to is really a new way of thinking about the problem. And I talk about this in my upcoming book. It's called Carb Training. And it's the idea that you can train digestion of any carb into the body. And it's been proven in the science. You take people with lactose intolerance, you start giving them hormetic doses of lactose, and bam, they start digesting lactose. All their symptoms go away. Um, and it isn't just that. It's with any idea that we think the problem is the foods. For example, uh, gluten. Um, what we know now is that what we think of as gluten intolerance really has to do with missing bacteria. And in fact, gluten-free diets actually increase the number of unhealthy bacteria, and they reduce many of the self-signaling components, like interleukin-10, that we need to play into the mix. So it's not the food, it's the bacteria. When you look at dairy, dairy in the universe of foods has functions no other foods have. I and I can go down the list. So what oh, we wait, 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 dairy, wait, 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 I want to throw something else in real quick. Sure. I learned this from Dr. Scott Connolly. It's a brilliant observation. He says, whenever people tell you that uh, milk is bad for you, uh, think about this. It's the only thing made in nature to be food, and it's cross-species compatible. You can take cow's milk and and give it to a dolphin, and you could take dolphin milk and give it to a baby. Yeah, and it, what we see consistently with, um, so going back to our basic numbers, what we see is that animal animals in the diet are a consistency with hunter-gatherers, and in that you can lump um, milk from whether it's goats or cows. It's, it's consistently there. Right. And it turns out, there are all sorts of functional properties present in dairy that are not present in any other food uh, for muscle growth and fat loss. So, for example, what we see with dairy is that it facilitates the formation of calcium soaps in the gut, acts as a natural fat trapper. This helps fats to pass through the gut undigested. We see with uh, fat loss, dairy increases the rate of fat oxidation. Dairy in the diet during active fat loss reduces the likelihood of weight regain. Um, dairy helps facilitate the production of fasting-induced adipose factor, which is an angioprotein that um, is involved in suppressing fat storage. Um, on and on and on down the, down the road, there are functional properties inherent in dairy you can't get in other foods that are extremely useful for fat loss, for muscle building, and all the things that we want to do. I want to talk about phenotypes for a minute. Are, are there any phenotypical traits that we see as we look at the uh, the expanse of uh, you know the GUI and their only twenty six percent of their diet coming from animal protein to some of the higher ones? Do we see differences in size? Do we see differences in in some uh, observable features and, and so on? Anything like that? Um. Well, that's a good one. Um, we we do see we do see definitely um, 
sort of genetic genetic uh, facilitators for um, both the utilization of substrates, utilization of foods, and the promotion of um, sort of body composition. Uh, we see a really interesting trend as we go north on the lat lines, um, and it gets to the relationship of certain bacteria and the way they interact with the genome and affect fat storage, fat deposition. And so when we look at the presence of fat in the diet and we look at the gut biome and we look at body composition, it gets super fascinating very fast. So what we see is the presence of acromantia as, you, as it gets colder. And as it gets colder, there's a consistent thing we start to see. We see more fat in the diet um, and we see people are fatter. Now, when we look at the biome and we see what happens, there are these genomic interactions going back and forth between certain bacteria. Acromantia, in particular, seems to be kind of the, the, uh, the regulator of cold induction and fat browning, and there's some short-term, long-term effects that we see. Short-term, it's beneficial. So we see the presence of acromantia sort of as a cold inducer helps short-term to... Uh, to essentially change white fat to brown fat, but this flips long-term. And so long-term, it actually works to facilitate uh, fat storage by interacting with the human genome and upregulating lots of genes. And these genes tend to be inherent in certain cultures that live at certain lat lines, primarily from high-fat diet-induced um, coldness. So, so the, the idea that... Um Eating a high-fat diet. I'm oh, sorry. Let, let me back up. The idea that one of these hunter-gatherer populations would find themselves deep into ketosis would not be nutritionally triggered. It would not be from a dietary approach. It would be from most likely uh, not having access to food for a period of time. Uh, and so, fat. So, long-term fasting or some sort of fast beyond. Th that next meal time that they should have had. Would you agree with that statement? Say that again, Carl. I didn't quite track with you. There. So, the only way that pe that these hunter gatherers would find themselves in deep ketosis, you know, we like you and I when we were at Quest, we were all checking. Oh, we we fasted for sixteen hours, one point eight millimoles. The only time a hunter-gatherer tribe or person would find themselves in that degree of ketosis is because they weren't eating any food. They didn't have any food. In other words, it's not that their diet would lend them to ketosis. It would be the lack of food that would put them into ketosis. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I would, I, would, I would definitely agree with that. Um, what, what's very interesting to look at with respect to that is the need for bigger brains. And we have um, a couple of drivers here. So historically, it's been thought that, well, you know, the thing that facilitated the shift to bigger brains was, was red meat. But I've kind of had a rethink recently, and it, it's not that difficult to understand. Um, so when it comes to utilization of energy, you're not going to grow bigger brains on ketones. You're just not. Ketones are the byproduct of starvation. Okay? Right. You're not going to grow a species by starvation. Right. It's not going to happen. In fact, in fact, um, I would I would argue that I would argue that genetic switches occur that affect germ lines, uh, that affect offspring, uh, because you know the offspring is an imprint of the environment at the time and the time previously before the parents made the baby. So 
that the baby comes into the world equipped for this, this environment. And I, I would submit that if you are in ketosis all the time and you happen to get pregnant at that time, I would say that that baby would be genetically imprinted to, to uh, be highly thrifty and probably put on body fat very, very easily and quickly because it thinks it's coming into a world uh, that is, is, is not of abundance but, but is, is prone to starvation. Well, one of the things, uh, I have an entire chapter in my upcoming book, which, by the way, all of you out there, go to transcend.fit and get on the list to get the thing. Um, I have a chapter about this, which is, it's called the Adaptive Starvation um, Defense Response. And what it boils down to is that um, all of the mechanisms in the body, when you sum total them up, you have, you have mechanisms that govern the, the drive to eat, and then you have mechanisms that disinhibit eating. And when you sum them all up, the ones that control the drive to eat win every time. Mm-hmm. And all you got to do to prove it to yourself is stop eating, and you'll see that the drive to eat will win. Um, and so the, uh, when, when you look at, like, any species, when you look at all mammals, what you see is that they have a response to chronic starvation. And but, you know, I'm a big fan of the notion that um, words program how you think of things, and we use words like fasting, but those are just modern words. Really what you're talking about is something that your genetic programming has seen for thousands and thousands of years, and it's a hell of a lot better at dealing with than, than you are. And so every time you go to the well, what you're doing actually is spinning up an adaptive starvation response that plays out long term. Um, in fact, there's really good data that's starting to bubble up that shows, <clears throat> so if, if you're into repeated fat loss, with, say, you know, bodybuilding, different things like that. There's some really good data that shows over time what happens is that every trip to the fat loss well, you have, uh, when you come back, you have slightly less muscle and slightly more fat. Right. And it's the body's adaptive starvation response kicking in. All of your machinery is designed to keep you alive. It's not right. designed to make you look good. <laughs> right. And that's what you're up against. Right. And so and the, bo- the body is going to adjust metabolic rate and the way it does that is to get rid of muscle because muscle burns calories and it's it's highly expensive to keep muscle around and the body goes wow you just starved a little bit so here's what we're going to do we're going to make it harder for you to starve next time we're going to get rid of all this here muscle that's burning calories in fact that's what we see play out um over time so there's a there's a really sort of horrific um habit, let's say, of the entire sort of fitness industry. And I believe that it's in its last days. Um, and it's the idea of looking at the now and thinking that that's forever. And it's not. Interesting. Um, in fact, we need to look at the now because the now is like a ripple in a pond. What you're doing now has repercussions down the line. And so, in fact, when we, what we see over time is in, in the real world, what we see is that the body has a reaction to fat loss long-term, and it's not good. Um, the body gets smarter every trip to the well. And it's funny, I, in my book I talk about this. Um, Rogan, on his podcast, recently was talking about weight cutting, and you know he made the remark, he goes, yeah, the body seems to have a, a resistance after a while to cutting weight, because what we're seeing in MMA is like a Petri dish for, for accelerated fat loss. Right. And what we're seeing is that um, we're seeing guys who are very young taking lots and lots of trips to the fat loss well, and by the time they're 30, they can't make weight. And this is sort of a real-world Petri dish for the body's genetic starvation defense adaptions. Right. So survival favors 
Uh, survival does not favor running the brain on starvation molecules long term. Um, the brain needs tons of energy. And again, this just comes back to balance. And so what you see is there's very specific foods. In fact, there's one theory that um, I'm talking about honey a lot today. I'm not a honey advocate, but it just keeps coming up. Um, there's one theory that um, honey was perhaps the food that allowed uh, the modern brain to do its thing because it's so rich in energy and the brain just needs that. Right. Right. Interesting. I want to take a break. Yeah. I want to take a break. I almost got off on to entheogens for a second because of the, the populations that used to follow the buffalo around and then eat the psilocybin mushrooms from their poop. Uh, there's, there is, there is some emerging research out there that the reason our brains grew so quickly is because we embraced, uh, the psychedelics in the world. Have you seen that information? Uh, no, I'm not up on that one. Okay. No. okay. I, it's an, it's an, emer- it's an emerging discussion. It's, it's happening in some very, very, uh, uh, prestigious, um, areas of science today. But we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to pick it up on the other side. The website is transcend, T-R-A-N-S-C-E-N-D dot fit. You can go there and learn a whole lot of good stuff, including uh, if Joel is going to be in an area near you putting on a lecture. Check it out. We'll be right back. Ever feel like you want something crunchy? From the company that gave us the Quest Protein Bar, now comes the Quest High Protein Potato Chips. With 21 grams of high-quality protein and only 5 grams of carbs and no artificial ingredients. Just like Quest Bars, you'll feel like you're cheating, but you're not. Go to superhumanradio.com and click the Quest High Protein Potato Chip banner ad today and get ready to be satisfied. Thanks to Quest Nutrition, chips just aren't what they used to be. New Mass Pro Synthogen X2 just upped its own legendary game. To distance itself even further from the rest of the pack, Synthogen X2 now has double the key active ingredients. If you've ever wondered what steroid-like recovery feels like, Synthogen X2 delivers. See why others compare it favorably to powerful bodybuilding drugs at synthogen.com mass pro synthogen when you train with it you'll gain with it what if a sports nutrition company actually let you try all of their best products for free before you ever bought one you'd be dreaming right well you're not dreaming head over to efxsports.com and grab their new sample kit that includes not one not two but six of their top sellers that's right six different samples of their top sellers sent out to you immediately to try Just cover a small shipping and handling fee, and they're on their way to you. See for yourself why EFX Sports has taken the industry by storm and why so many athletes worldwide depend on their products, dominate their competition safely and legally. Head over to EFXSports.com right now and click the EFX Sample Kit in the online store and get your free kit today. Once again, that's EFXSports.com. There are a few products that I believe in the way I believe in CanSee eye drops. I've been using CanSee for six months now, and the changes in my vision are nothing short of amazing. Wow, that's an old commercial. The truth is, I've been using CanSee eye drops for 11 years now, and I credit CanSee eye drops as being the reason that I do not need reading glasses at 58 years old. CanSee eye drops improve the quality and health of your eyes indefinitely. That's why I both 
Use and endorse Cansey Eye Drops. Go to wisechoicemedicine.com and learn about how Cansey Eye Drops can improve the health of your eyes and the quality of your vision today. Whether your goal is to build muscle or burn fat, you'll find everything you need at Redcon One. Need help getting a good night's sleep? Try Fade Out or the most popular pre-workout supplement on the market today, Total War. Sign up for their new transformation challenge and win $10,000 or shop for apparel that people at the gym will know that you are serious about your training. Need a testosterone booster that works? Check out Boomstick. Whatever you need, you'll find the best quality supplements on the market at Redcon One. Go to Redcon1.com. That's R-E-D-C-O-N, the number one.com, or go to superhumanradio.net and click the Redcon One banner ad today. The benefits of a ketogenic diet are immeasurable. Health, resist disease, mental function, and even performance. But getting into ketosis can take weeks, if even at all. Now you can get into ketosis in 10 minutes. Ketokana is the first ketone powder that has been clinically shown to switch you into a ketogenic state by providing a rush of ketones into the bloodstream. Like to train fasted or want to spare more muscle glycogen during workouts? Take a shot of Ketokana and hit it hard. Go to superhumanradio.com and click the Ketokana banner ad today. This is the Superhuman Channel, where we use oxygen for the power of good. Welcome back to Superhuman Radio. We're talking with Joel Green. If you want to get on his diet plan, you can go to Veep, V-E-E-P.com. That's the website that was featured on the Dr. Phil show. It's the, it's the one place where you can actually leverage uh, Joel's brain to help you design the diet you should be on. Um, and it depends on what your goals are. You know, if you're looking to, if it's performance related, he can help you. If you're looking to lose body fat without sacrificing a lot of muscle, he can help you. Uh, so that's another website. And then, of course, Transcend, T-R-A-N-S-C-E-N-D dot fit. Uh, I'm going to order the book now. I'm actually on the website. Joel, you're a handsome guy. Joel's picture's on the bottom. If you want to see he, he, a guy who not only talks the talk, but he walks the walk. And Joel, Joel, you're, you're, you're uh, how old are you now, Joel? Uh, 53. Dude, man, you're aging really, really, really well. So that's the God's honest truth. So there you go. That's who you want to take your advice from. That's some old shrivel up guy on the Dr. Oz show. Uh, you want to take your, your dietary uh, <laughs> advice from Joel. You know what I did? They, they have that doctor on. Uh, Dr. Oz has this, um, this doctor. The guy's got glasses. He's little. He's about 86 pounds wet. And, you know, he's all shriveled up and he's got dark circles under his eyes, around his glasses. And, and he's like, a, he's the diet doctor. They call him on the doctor. Oh, well, t- tell us what to, what to eat so we look like you. Oh, no, I don't want to look like you. I want to look like Joel. That's funny. That's, I, I was uh, texting you this morning thinking just back to over the years here. Um, you and I have actually broken a lot of stuff here that was not anywhere until it was broken here, which was a couple years back. We... We really hit on AMK, and nobody was talking about that. And then it was butyrate, and nobody was talking about that. And you know, next thing you know, how about mito- how talking- about the show? How about the show we did on mitochondrial farming? How to improve and increase mitochondrial chondrial efficiency, function, and biogenesis? And then all of a sudden, everybody's talking about the mitochondria. Yeah, and it's so it's uh, it's interesting because your show has a lot of um, uh, it's people who are influencers themselves, and, and you know, don't mind. Um, don't mind going to 20,000 feet. And I, I think today's show, uh, I'm going to make a prediction. I think um, we're going to see a pushback to more balance in the diet after today's show is my guess. We have um, to. This is, look, 
the keto diet for a short period of time, God bless you. The vegan diet for a short period of time, God bless you. Because chances are, in evolutionary patterns, that's how it happened. These two diets, long term, not a good idea. We already there was a study that was just published in the Journal of uh, Renal Renal uh, Phrenology and, and and Renal Function or something like that, uh, where they looked at uh, the occurrence of uh, sarcopenia in uh, people with chronic kidney disease that are put on a low protein diet. It, it, the muscle wasting is so rapid. And so pronounced that it made them look. They want to say, well, what, what, is, what is it about this, right? Well, guess what happens when you eat low protein? mTOR shuts down and myostatin goes through the roof. Why? Because the body goes, we don't have enough protein. We need, we need amino acid pools so that the, uh, 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 the cells can produce inter, uh, intercellular messages because that's how it does it with amino acids string together in a syntax. Um, and so... Uh, the body needs protein for that. The body needs protein uh, for organ function. The body needs protein because those amino acids can undergo gluconeogenesis, some of them, a large majority of them, and produce blood glucose. The one thing the body doesn't need protein for is more muscle. That Muscle is, is, is a luxury. And so the body goes, we need to stop any future muscle building. And in fact, we need to start harvesting our muscles for these building blocks that we need for all these other functions. And it makes perfect from an evolutionary perspective. If you're, if you're not getting protein, your body goes, we're going to have to start throwing sandbags out so we can stay afloat. And the sandbag it throws out is muscle. That's it. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, the, keto is a great protocol. Um, a protocol is not a way to eat for life. They're different. And you could even make that case for methionine reduced diets or vegan or any, any kind of diet out there. There's, there's tons and tons of benefits to all these things, but there's also research established negatives. There's no negatives that I know of to balance in your diet. None right. that I know of. Right. Maybe there are. I just don't know of them. Um, and what we see when we look at these indigenous cultures is a sort of ancestral kind of wisdom bubbling up. And, and it, without knowing the science, they actually step through all the scientific mandates, which is, so you look at these hunter-gatherer populations, there's a couple of big takeaways off the top. Number one is they live mainly on animal diets. That's, that's the number one big thing you see. But then you see an issue with that. You see, okay, so they're getting adequate protein in the diet, but you can't have too much protein. Uh, then you get all kinds of problems, especially with lean animals. So we got to get some fat in the diet. So then they figured out how to get fat in the diet. But then once you get fat in the diet, you've got to look at oxidation over time. You've got to look at substrate to renew the right bacteria in the gut. So you've got to go towards fruits. You've got to go towards things that are deep in phenols, honey, tubers, things like that. And so that's exactly what they do. Now, you, you will see um, certain populations living in certain areas, um, primarily, primarily northerners, that have higher fat amounts in the diet. Um, interestingly, most, if not many of those populations over time are kind of fat. Um, but what you will see is that they also still have balance in the diet. They have, um, other food sources so that, uh, you know, you might see, uh, you might see your best case is a population where you see 58% fat, 25% carbs from fruit, from honey, from things like that. And then 25% protein. That's kind of what you see. So uh, those who eat more animal protein, do they tend to be bigger, more robust, stronger? And those who eat more plant-based foods, uh, do they tend to be smaller and not as muscular and not as robust? 
We could do a whole show on that one, Carl. That is a great question. Um, we would literally need to go by region by region to answer that question because as we look at region by region, what we see are differences that don't make any sense in the conventional scientific way of thinking. For example, the Hazda. The gut biome of the Hazda makes no sense. Um, we see all the bacteria that tell us, well, you should be fat. The enterotype just doesn't seem to make sense, but they're lean. These are lean, muscular people when you look at them. But then what we see are all these other factors, that their feet are in that specific soil all the time. They're completely infused with their environment. And so getting beyond this sort of reductionism, reductive way of, you know, it, well, it, it's just, it's just the, uh, the, the parts, what we see is that the, the whole is more than the parts in, in every case when we go region by region. But can't, can't that be explained the way? So wouldn't, wouldn't the uh, uh, constant dietary changes driven by access, regionality, and, 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 and climate actually restructure the microbes in the gut to best take advantage of the foods we have access to, with the goal being building a strong, robust uh, spe- species and and finding ways to do that given the food that's available by altering the gut. Yes, again, and so taking that in again, so what we see is that it's it's not the human genome, it's not the mitochondrial genome, it's not the microbiome genome, it's all three talking to each other. Right. And there's a dynamic flux that happens between all three talking to each other. And actually that's the amazing takeaway is that you, you, the listener, have the power to exert control over the, that discussion that's going on in your genome with the substrates that you're using. But you've got you've to take an eye towards sort of your ancestral lat lines. And there's a number of factors in there. It's not just simply macronutrient ratios. Yeah. It's really, really fascinating. You know, I'm sure that a lot of people feel like, oh, man. This is so complicated, but it's really not when you look at us from an evo- through, through, the, through the lens of evolution. It's really not. It all makes sense. It all plays out. And when you look at some of these phenomenons that are discovered in science, and then you, you juxtapose them over the backdrop of what we know about evolution, it, it all becomes very clear. Isn't that true? I mean, really, at the end of the day, all of these discoveries that you make for meeting all of, reading all of this research – compiling all of this data, extrapolating meaningful information, at the end of the day, don't you just see our evolutionary imprints written all over it and go, duh? Uh, let's do a show on that. Um, we can, I've got a lot to say on that. Okay, so let's just, on. let's plan on doing that because, because that's where this kind of leaves off, right? So this, I mean, the idea that these hunter-gatherer populations uh, actually do the things that are in their body's best interest intuitively, right? Because of, because of uh, tens of thousands of years of, of learning, uh, and that, that is more important than the research that we use to figure out why they do it at the end of the day. So we'll, we will do that show. We'll make that the next show. This will be kind of like a university segment. How about that? That's good, man. All right, well, that's it uh, for today. Joel, man, thank you so much. Uh, lots of really, really good information in today's show. In fact, I'm going to have this show transcribed, and uh, we will make, a, make it available uh, to visitors of supiumradio.net. Uh, and we will book Joel back on to uh, do the continuation of this discussion. Have a great weekend, brother.
Thank you. Thank you for having me on, Carl. Take care. Uh, and, of course, uh, Dr. Jeff Galini, uh, go to, go to supremeradio.net and click one of the EFX Sports uh, banner ads and get your six free samples of the top-selling products absolutely free. Pay $5 and change for shipping. And, of course, Joel Green's two websites, if you're strictly interested in signing up for his diet program where he helps you figure out what you should be eating, that's Veep, V-E-E-P dot com. If you want to get on the waiting list for his new book, uh, that is going to be the website Transcend, T-R-A-N-S-C-E-N-D dot fit, F-I-T. There's lots of good stuff over there. Also, uh, he does these body hack seminars all over California, and dates and times and locations are listed there. If you are in the California area, you can sit down and actually uh, listen to him and talk to him. All right, so um, that's it for today, and we have uh, more good stuff tomorrow. Actually, Max Schmerkowski, uh Dancing with the Stars athlete, uh, is going to come on tomorrow and talk about some of the things that he's been using. Uh, you know, he just had a baby. Him and his wife, Peter, just had a baby. And, of course, there's lots of sleepless nights, and, uh, and the guy stays in amazing peak conditioning, and, and of course, so does Peter. Uh, but we're going to have Max on tomorrow to talk about some of the tricks that he's learned uh, that have made it a little bit easier for him to stay in shape uh, and some of the things that he does and what he eats and all that sort of good stuff. So tune in tomorrow for that. And, of course, if you can't tune in live, there's always the podcast, and we'll see you tomorrow.